Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Charity Coffee Chats. And we are back for 2024. Uh, we ended up taking about a month off to spend some time celebrating the holiday season. And like everyone, the start of the nonprofit year is always incredibly crazy. Uh, so work kind of took us away for a little bit, but uh, we are back and uh, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Crystal. Crystal, how uh, how was your break? It was great. It was um great quality family time and and we got to spend a lot of time together and we are back at the daily grind of things so excited to take on a new year with a new strategic plan and all of that good stuff excellent well i i do have a little bit of a bone to pick with you and i'll say that by uh first off i saw that uh, almost a thousand dollars was raised from your nacho burger that we highlighted last time uh, I think I think the final number was like I think you were nine burgers short of 500. So yeah, perhaps perhaps my bone is Crystal. I, I'm sure you could have fit in another nine nacho burgers for the children of Lacombe. At least three. I started eating <laughs> salads with them to be honest, even though the fries are epic at cilantro and chive. But I had to turn to burger and salad, not burger and fries. I ate my fair share of that nine hundred dollars. <laughs> Well, congratulations. That is, uh, and I guess congratulations to uh, the, I think everyone who went out and uh, visited mm -hmm. Cilantro and Tribe in Lacombe and tried your nacho burger. That was, uh, it was truly eating for kids sake. It and, was. Uh, yeah. And I, I hear the calories didn't count. So that's great. No, not when it's giving to kids. <laughs> well, uh, again, we're we're back for the new year. This is kind of our ninth episode uh, talking about life in the charitable sector, both as executive directors who've spent many years uh, supporting small to mid-sized organizations. And we thought maybe we'd do a quick, uh, a couple of minutes off the top, just a little bit of a refresh. We had a whole bunch of new listeners uh, after our last episode and thought we should do a little bit of a recap as to who we are before diving into episode three of our Java Generosity conversation. So uh, quick introduction. My name is Tim Bennett. Uh, I am from Prince George, British Columbia, where I pretty much spent most of my life uh, and have spent my entire career in the nonprofit sector. I started off working, uh, doing programming at our local museum and science center, uh, then spent almost 17 years with Big Brothers Big Sisters. Uh, my first seven doing marketing and fundraising, and then 10 years as executive director of the Northern BC Agency. And in uh, December of 2022, joined the executive leadership team with Scouts Canada as their executive director commercial ventures. So kind of a really fancy title to really talk about revenue generation. So uh, I focus on our retail store, our fundraising and partner relations, property operations, our asset strategy and our new program strategy. So uh, have been have been with Scouts Canada just over a year now uh, and have spent most, I guess I said, if not my entire career in the nonprofit sector, uh, spending the last 11, almost 12 years in in senior leadership positions. Uh, beyond that, I have four wonderful kids. My oldest uh, is 11, and then I have six, four, and two. So you may hear them 
every now and again show up on the podcast. And if that wasn't enough, uh, I have also spent the last almost 12 years in local government uh, as a school trustee, now as a city councillor. So try to sometimes bring in my governance experience from that sector as well. Uh, But maybe I'll turn over to Crystal uh, if you wanted to kind of do a quick reintroduction of yourself and then uh, what we are talking about today. Sure. So I have been in the charitable sector in May will be my 27th year. And uh, when I was graduating from college back in Southern Alberta, my first job out of college was an executive director of a daycare. So I have been an executive director for quite some time. Um, I worked in the nonprofit sector that entire time um, in a few different cities. I'm now in the city of Lacombe. I did take a five-year sabbatical and uh, still worked in the nonprofits advising, but owned a private um, business, and that was a lot of fun. And that's where I kind of grew my love for marketing and some ex- gained some expertise along the way. In Lacombe, I was the director of Big Brothers Big Sisters, and that's where Tim and I first met and our paths crossed and, you know, I think we just joined forces whenever we could and have a lot of fun, you know, with our communities and kind of changing the world together. So um, who better to do a podcast with in charity leadership than than a, um, a co-worker like um, a colleague like Tim? Uh, I was at Big Brothers for about 14 years, I guess. And then now I'm just actually across the street at Family Community Support Services. And we help everybody from babies to seniors um, through about 19 different programs. So um, working with the community is so much fun and you get so much energy and there's so much positivity from our world of charity, but it can also be heavy at times. And we can go through some really challenging financial situations or um, the difference of landscape in the charitable sector can change frequently. And there's not a really good support system uh, for us. So that's where the birth of this um, charity coffee chats was born, that we could have a place to come to and have just a, a coffee and maybe learn some things along the way. So we have a lot of um, awesome special guests throughout our podcasts. I think we're celebrating our ninth official episode and uh, that's been a lot of fun. I look forward to these podcasts like I do Christmas morning. So I can't wait to dive into today's. Excellent. And, and what uh, what are we talking about today? Well, we are in the Java Generosity um, pillar, and so that is our series title where we explore the world of fundraising. And today we are um, focusing on the art. Whoop. I just have, guess, you, guess I'm not on mute and you're going to have to dump that out. So sorry. Okay. So today the, the topic we are exploring is the art of friend raising. So this will be our episode where we really gain some knowledge and expertise and examples um, from the art of relationships in fundraising and operating your charity. Sorry, that was a big gap there. I'll edit that out. Uh, Excellent. So we've kind of broken this into 
three kind of segments that we're going to talk about. The first being uh, building authentic connections. The second is storytelling for impact. And the third is the importance of donor and volunteer appreciation. So I think to start, um, I know in, in kind of many conversations that we've had, Crystal, and especially thinking back to our chat around the importance of organizational culture, um, it was all about building relationships. And I think, you know, when we talk about when we talk about the importance of building a successful fundraising and donor relations campaign, the the relationship that you have with the community and the donors is incredibly important. And sometimes that that includes having to make sure that your message is personalized a bit. Um, so I guess when you're trying to build that relationship with your donors, what success have you seen uh, in being able to do that? Well, I always love to quote Simon Sinek, and he has a quote that says, consumers do not buy um, what you do, they buy why you do it. He has a really good book I'm reading right now, and it's Knowing Your Why. And I think in charity, this is especially important. Um, our goods and services are our goodwill and what we do and how we impact our community. So always making our um, goals very clear and being transparent of where the dollars are going and who they're going to help and what project that they're going towards and sharing that progress um, during the fundraiser and having your um, sponsors or your um, stakeholders be part of the process and bringing them on board whether it's you know, for a check presentation in person, personally thanking them, having them present at the event so they can experience and, and live the event with us, and also really engaging um, them in any every step of the way. Um, they're not just, you know, a, a name on a check, they're actually a big part of it. They will then take ownership of the organization and the event and really have you know, they play a bigger role than just writing a check. They have some mean, meaningful experiences um, with you, your staff, your volunteers, or even the community members that the program's helping. And again, I know I've, I've seen from a distance firsthand some of the success that that you have had in building that relationship, especially with with the Lacombe community. I think, you know, we we talked about. Uh, we talked about, you know, the the partnership around the nacho burger with cilantro and tribe. And uh, again, not being in Lacombe, it sounds like they are an incredible uh, community partner who finds any and all opportunity to give back. Uh, but I also say I think they're a big Crystal Zen supporter in the fact that uh, I saw them quite active supporting Big Brothers Big Sisters. Now they're they've kind of followed you across the street, so to speak. Um, and, and that's just probably one of many who I think, you know, again, you you talk about, you know, Simon's quote around people are buying into the why. Um, and, and quite often, I think this is one of the challenges we see in the sector. And I know I encountered it after my time leaving Big Brothers is the relationship with. The relationship with the sponsor quite often ends up 
being connected to the person, not necessarily to the organization. So when you know how do how do you handle that to also tie in the the importance of the the why to the charity, not just the why because Christy or Tim are coming to ask. Mm-hmm. I think building authentic connections is not just a campaign, a start and end date. We met our goal, we go on. It's really working with that business owner or the um, the other organizations on a personal level. So it's giving back to them in the ways we can year round. So whether it's, you know, having a staff meeting or a board dinner in that restaurant, or it is going and doing a Google review saying this, this is an awesome business that gives back to its community. It gives back to Lacombe Minor Ball. It gives back to, you know, the the hockey and and the charities of our or of our city, um, and just an ongoing connection of of building that business up who has given so generously of their time and their funds to your organization, and making sure that the voice of the programs are always, you know in front of the business. So whether it's, you know, the Facebook stories and the posts or um, those kind of things, but so they have lots of connections to the programs and not just the director. And um, there's a strategy that you've probably used and I've used and and some of, you know, our colleagues have used where um, the, the community members that are being served can go back and personally thank that business for their big donation or their generosity of volunteerism. Um, They can take cookies or the last few years we've done chips and dip. And so we just have some tortillas. You can tell I really like tacos, but (laughs) tortillas with salsa that just says like, you're the chips to our dip kind of thing. Thank you for being amazing. And instead of just the director or the staff always being the ones to go deliver those, the board members can deliver them, the community members that are served from our program can go deliver them. It's really important to have, um, you know, champions within your own programs that you serve and ambassadors to your programs that can speak to, you know, our life was changed by this program and, and we're better off because of this program and this program wouldn't exist without you. And it's just that really simple personal connection that, you know, this isn't just going to administration costs. This is going to real world change and and long-term impact. So I think it doesn't happen in a fundraising campaign. It's an ongoing effort, just like, you know, a friend that, you know, how do you be a friend that is is a friend, you know, like you have to give as much as you get. And so remembering that, not just take and take and take and going and visiting those businesses so they don't think once a year we see you coming, we know that you're going to ask for money. It's they're they're seeing us often and for different purposes. And there may only be one ask a year, but they're going to see us, you know, 18 times. Absolutely love that. And I, and I think you're right. It's it's so easy to make your ask to a donor. Every time you're there, you're asking for money. And it's it's how do you purposely make sure that you're having face time with that partner beyond just your ask for money? And And I love that idea of dropping off chips and dip. I know I've done something similar, you know, dropping off cookies for for staff at the holiday season or uh, 
I did, one year we did freezies during like the July heat wave, right? It, it's just how do you how do you find creative ways to say thanks? It doesn't have to be pricey, uh, but it is about just being there and getting that FaceTime with your donor beyond just being there with your hands out saying, hey, we need your help once again. I think I think the other piece of building that authentic connection is the importance of transparency and talking and and letting your donors know, you know, not only how you're going to use the money, but how the money that they've previously been given has been used. Tying that dollar back to impact and really just making sure that you're telling the donor the whole story about, you know, what your organization is doing, both the good and the bad. And being sure, being sure that your your donors have just a clear picture of the impact that they've made. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you know that may help open the pocketbooks a little bit more. But more importantly, again, it's it's just building that authenticity with the with your donor to say, hey, this is who we are. This is the great work that we've been able to do. Here's some of the challenges we're facing. Um, but you know, this is how we're going to tackle those challenges. And that is all just about the importance of relationship building and that transparency will help build trust. Exactly. Yeah, just leveraging all the opportunities and being sincere and honest. If a fundraiser doesn't go good or a program is falling short, you know, communicating that in a sincere way and not to bring upon guilt, but they could be a part a part of the solutions and finding other um, people that, that are in their circles to help out and and just um, the the trust and the communication I think is is important. You know, as we as we look to now, you know, when we're when we're there talking to our donors, when we're there talking to potential sponsors. You know, we we hear a lot about the importance of storytelling, and I can tell you that I think. Some organizations do this incredibly well. I would say that there's a large number of organizations who don't do a great job telling the story. Uh, and or telling, you know, multiple stories. How how important do you see the concept of storytelling and how how have you been able to um, effectively communicate your story? Because I can tell you it's probably something I for spending as many years in fundraising as I have, um, I can think of a few times that, you know, I've used storytelling and it's been incredibly effective. And then a lot of times that I've sat back and was like, I could have, we could have told a better story or um, how come we didn't use this opportunity to tell a story. Mm -hmm. And I can think of lots of examples just from your agency of where you guys are so good at this and you're you're dead on the spotlight with this so i'll want to see some of your examples after but i want to say one of the things i think i see in um, other organizations or that i've even had to combat myself coming into new organizations is the protection of your programs and they you know the people's dignity and protection and faces are in lockdown and we do not want you know them to have to be exposed or highlighted or showcased in any way and so that thinking is is incredibly old school 
but also has some merit. So when you are showcasing, you know, your your programs, your community members that you're serving, um, doing it in a dignified and an agreeable way where they, of course, sign your media consent and agree to the, um, you know, the highlighting of, of the program and their face in the camera. And if you can do that in a respectful way, but also communicating with the community members you're serving that this program would not happen if we don't show it, right? If we don't showcase our community members we're helping or the programs that we're facilitating. Um, we can't have blurred faces on every single person always. And there, there, there are situations where we don't show programs. Um, you know, it's, it's too sensitive of information or, um, but there, most of our programs, um, we want people to be a part of them and be connected to them and be part of the solutions. So highlighting those and the success and the impact is crucially important. So educating your staff and your board on the importance of that has never been more important than it is now with social media being such a huge player in our charity success. Um, so getting over that hump and being able to, you know, leverage the ability to work together, it's going to take a team because the directors can only be in one place at one time and we're not often, you know, the frontline workers. So they, your team has to be really good at capturing those stories and those really great moments um, with, with your funders or with your community members you're serving and capturing the details and the photos in order to showcase that. Um, and really leveraging, like I said, um, client ambassadors and agencies ambassadors. And if there are people that are truly affected by your agency, they want to be the first one waving the flag and, and cheering you on. Um, but your your agencies have done a remarkable job of this. So if you could share some of your um, successes in storytelling and sharing your charity story. I mean, I think I think we are in a really exciting time and there's more resources available now than ever before for organizations to tell their story and and what i'm saying and going with this is the fact that like video and TikTok and and social media is such a, a readily available tool that it's easy for our youth or our parents or volunteers who are comfortable uh, to get up and share their story. I can tell, like, the, the message is going to come a lot more, it's going to have a lot more impact and power if the story is coming from the individual itself rather than from, you know, me sitting and talking on the screen. And, I mean, at the end of the day, me sharing a story can have impact, but people still know that I'm an employee of the organization. The The power and impact is going to come a lot greater and resonate more if that story is coming from the source itself. And and again, I, I recognize and and you know the comments you made around protecting you know confidentiality and privacy is incredibly important, especially with you know some of the causes that this the sector supports. So sometimes that's just not doable. But you know even if you then live in an organization where you are you are really having to protect your client's identity. 
then it's how do you engage other staff members or people who may not traditionally be the ones in front of the camera to come out and, and share meaningful stories that impact them. There are ways around this, but I think we need to utilize the technology we have available now to be able to do that. And I think that's where some of the success that I've had with Big Brothers Big Sisters uh, really happened was getting people, um, you know, being that spokesperson, being that the person in front of the camera sharing their story and having that resonate um, with individuals. I think as well, you know, I will say in my my entire time with the Brothers of Big Sisters, probably the most powerful impact story um, that I heard was, was not mine or not even one that connected to my agency. But I was at, I was at an event at the BC legislature and there was a parent from the, I believe it was a Victoria agency, uh, might have been the another one on the island, but uh, got up and, and was addressing the MLAs about the importance of mentorship and, and how mentors can change uh, a child's life. And, and she talked about, uh, she talked about the experience she had as a parent of, as a single parent. Uh, and, you know, she, she put up a pair of shoes and she was like, you know, these these are the shoes my my child was wearing when we walked into the Big Brothers Big Sisters office and, uh, you know, shared her story about coming in and and inquiring and, and you know, coming in with the how nervous she was about the idea of, you know, finally feeling comfortable enough to reach out, finally feeling, you know, ready to take this step. Her, her and her son were there, you know, to to find a big brother. And then uh, the next thing we know is she puts up a pair of shoes uh, and she's like, these are the shoes that my son was wearing the day he aged off the wait list without ever having a big brother. And talk, then went in and talked about the struggles that uh, teenage boys go through when they don't have a positive role model in their life. And, you know, for me, that was incredibly powerful, A, because I probably wasn't expecting it. Um, but to see the, you know, the, it, it, it really helped paint that picture and it really kind of hit home the, the impact that, um, you know, something as simple as when you're looking at a pair of shoes that a, a seven-year-old would wear versus a pair of shoes that a 16-year-old would wear, um, you know, for me, that really hit home in terms of, you know what, like, we had a child who went from, you know, through many stages of development, uh, struggling, and all he needed was a caring volunteer to put up their hand and say, yes, I have a time to help. Mm-hmm. And we weren't able to deliver. So, you know, I, I to this day, and this was probably almost 20 years ago now, I still, I that, that image and story is built into my mind because it it truly showed you know the impact of not being able to deliver and i i I think part of it too is you know you know i've worked for organizations that uh are much more on the prevention and much more focused on uh you know it's sometimes hard to tell that story you know if you if you work for uh for example a healthcare charity or a children's hospital 
it's really easy to say, you know, your $100 donation or your $200 donation can save a child's life and can, you know, do X, Y, Z tomorrow. Uh, I've always worked for organizations that are very much prevention, very much, you know, your $100 today uh, can actually save a child 10 years from now. And, you know, we have to find creative ways to share our story. And I think back to this parent in Victoria and, you know, it really talked about and, and found a way to talk about the fact that, like, your investment today can actually help create change today. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I thank that parent time and time again for their vulnerability and probably for really motivating me um, to, you know, the importance of of doing everything in my power for for prevention our community because that investment today can truly make it. Yeah, the visual would have been powerful coming from the person that was effective. And if you think back to the stories that stick, they are powerful stories that are real and and raw. And so that that's really good thing to keep, you know, on top of mind when when we're thinking about how to communicate those things to our donors in our community. So the last topic would be the culture of donor and volunteer appreciation. This is always at the end of a campaign when your team is exhausted and and has, you know, has done all they need to do. But this is actually one of the more important steps of a campaign and, and something we need to do as a charity culture on an ongoing basis. And I believe I quoted this on an earlier podcast, but this is a a quote I just love. A person who feels appreciated will always do more than what is expected. And I think that's true for our donors and our stakeholders as well. So what are some of the strategies that um, you have used or found to to be um, really successful in that follow-up donor appreciation? I mean, I think first off is is absolutely prioritizing it and getting and building your schedule. Having done so many events over over my career to date, uh, I know how, you know, an event happens, you're riding that event high, the next day you're you're cleaning up, you're working on your post-event summaries, and then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, we need to get ready for the next one. And I know how easy then it is to either, you know, forget. And I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, that's happened to me where you forget to do a thank you to your donors. Uh, or, you know, you're generating a form letter that you send out with a photo. Like, it's, it it is so easy sometimes to take not, and not do a proper thank you as a a shortcut or because you're just so busy. I also know like, you know, especially depending on how the size of the event, you know, usually a couple of days after an event, you can probably pencil that you're probably going to feel under the weather because you've been riding that adrenaline high for so many weeks leading up to that. Now your body needs you to recover. And so I think, I think pairing for and scheduling a proper, um, time to write a personalized thank you card, write a 
you know, even if you are doing like a pre-printed letter, then take a few moments to write a personal message, you know, as you sign the letter. Just take that time to show that, you know, you're actually thinking about the donor as you are preparing your thank you. Uh, again, I think it's important to talk about the impact. So if your fundraiser raised $30,000, what does that mean to your organization? How are you going to use it? Uh, and then also make sure that you're taking time to celebrate that donor's commitment publicly. Do a post on social media. You know, if you have the budget and you have a, a success and, and your community still has a, a daily or weekly newspaper, put an ad there. Like, just make sure you're taking the time to say thank you publicly to your donors, but then also taking that time to personally thank your donors. Mm -hmm. I love this as well, not just for fundraising campaigns, but... Um, I think you had the Big Squeeze event, and I love that event. And the amount of cross-collaborating and um, featuring that you would do, you would go to every business and take their photos, and it always looked like you were having a blast in the businesses with them, and cross-collaborating on the marketing side, and whether it's tagging, um, commenting, posting, um, that was just felt like such contagious energy. And you can speak to a little bit about that, but I wanna thank you for sharing everything with that because we did knock it off a couple times, not in the, we did try the lemonade, but we turned it into Turn the Town Teal with Big Brothers. And now um, at this agency, um, we turned the town pink in February and do a kindness campaign. But we basically took your strategy of that cross collaborative marketing and um, highlighting those um, generous um, businesses that were willing to put up their lemonade stands and your logo and raise funds for your agency. But do you want to speak to that um, campaign a little bit? Yeah. So for those who don't know, Big Squeeze was a kind of a citywide challenge where businesses signed up to sell lemonade over a four hour period. And the, the team who the business who sold the most in the four hours uh, received a old bowling trophy with a styrofoam lemon super glue to the top. And, you know, the, the event started off as really a PR kind of stunt and, and grew over 10 years, uh, generating between fifteen dollars and $20,000 over the four-hour period and really created more PR buzz than I think we could have ever imagined. And I think the cool part about this is it was really businesses doing all the heavy lifting and really spending time talking about your cause. So staff went around. We we were the judges, we tested all the lemonade, but at the same point, we took an opportunity to post from each location uh, as a way to, to not only say thank you, but to help kind of share and, and recognize everyone who was participating in the, in the campaign. Uh, and, and I think, again, that that just, that kind of goodwill goes two ways, right? We, we have a following and people who support Big Brothers Big Sisters. And, you know, the more we can, introduce other businesses brands to our clientele uh then there's a mutual benefit and i know that's one of the things too that i've always regardless of the organization talked to my staff about is you know as you're on as you're on social media like if, if our partners are doing something really cool um engage with their platforms you know comment like share introduce what they're doing to our clientele because again it creates that mutual benefit 
And the businesses recognize that and, and they really see you as a partner, not just a charity that they give money to. No, I love that. That's so powerful. And I don't even know if we could statistically gauge the benefit of that until you see it over the years of of it coming back tenfold. And it means a lot to a business for us to post their name and their goodwill and their good effort helping with community causes. This is extra work they're taking on because they want to give back to the community. So I have basically followed your lead in that realm and it has paid off greatly as well as it's a lot of fun to get to know the businesses on a personal level and all their staff and and know them by name and call them by name and and that sort of thing. The other thing I, I would want to add that I started it at this agency is when there is a significant donation that comes on or comes across my desk, I will pick up the phone instantly and phone that person and and say thank you over the phone. It's just a cold call saying this is an incredible donation. Thank you for your kindness and we really appreciate it. Um, another idea we had a we do a campaign here called Fill the Fridge, and it is a massive campaign. And at Christmas, instead of doing grocery hampers, we do Fill the Fridge bucks and it's a collaboration with all our local grocery stores. So all of the 100% of the proceeds go right back into our local grocery store economy and it's a pretty pretty special partnership but it's a it's a lot of work for our grocery stores because they're specialized gift cards they're not the state of the art gift card that you buy at the grocery store they're handwritten on a little bit old school but in order to process this properly and for people to only buy groceries and things like that um, they go to a lot of effort and i think they can encounter you know problems on their side that maybe we don't you know talk to them about so this year we're having a lunch with all the grocery store owners to thank them for their contributions and going way overboard to make this program happen but also hear some of the challenges that may have come across our you know the grocery store clerks with these cards and and maybe they have ideas and solutions that we don't experience because we're not in the store when people are cashing them in. And so just making sure that those partners are at the table and have a voice. So just all of those different ideas can really leverage your um, donor appreciation and make it more valuable for both parties. No, I, I absolutely love that. And I mean, I think, I think the, uh, the one, you know, you said something along the lines of like, bring it old school but i i think i think in a world where things move so quickly and i think about how much business i now do via text message via email via teams message i mean to the fact that like i actually don't have a work phone anymore because i make so few work-related phone calls in a day taking that time to, to phone and say thank you to a donor or popping in and seeing them um, really is a building that authentic connection and I think is just so important to be successful in your fundraising. We know that the giving landscape in Canada is changing. We know that, you know, things like inflation and the labor market are causing significantly more challenges to nonprofits and we're having to raise more than we ever have before. So utilize these tools to help 
just take your fundraising game to the next level. Uh, and, you know, I, I look at the time we we actually went a little bit longer than we even thought we were going to go today, Crystal. Uh, but it's always just so great to be able to sit and, and pick your brain and and talk about these challenges that are facing the sector. Uh, to those listening, please like feel free to engage. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, give us a rating, share the podcast with your friends. We are, our goal is bi-weekly. Uh, I know that's been a little bit hit or miss over the last few because of, of schedules, uh, but please uh, stay tuned. We, we will have uh, another podcast in a couple of weeks as we continue on with Jenna Dr- java generosity uh but any any final thoughts uh as we talk about the art of friend raising crystal no i just really want to hear everybody's questions on some of the conundrums they face in fundraising and we can try to address those with some special guests but just making it authentic and being sincere and never being too important to say thank you make a phone call and be on the ground working for sure Love that. And and again, just uh, thank you to everyone for all their support, for, for tuning in. Uh, and again, we, we love to hear from you. So please don't hesitate to reach out. And uh, until next time, uh, it, it's, it looks like a big cold front's heading across Canada right now. So stay warm, stay safe, and uh, keep up all the great work, everyone.